God gave this world to mankind, and the empires of men have grasped for power. But God has announced a new kingdom, a kingdom that reclaims this world with a new commerce, a new treasure, and a king of new life. I'm thankful that you're here at the North Richland Hills campus, or and all of you that watch online. Uh, thank you for joining us. As you know, next weekend is one of my favorite weekends in the history of our church. Harvest weekend is such an encouragement to me as we support literally the teaching of the gospel around the world and in awesome places like Philly where Watson Jones III is planning a church. I know you're already in love with that young man, and if you want to hear more of his story, come to Harvest Story tonight. And he and several other of our missionaries and church planners will be there. Now, I know that you're thinking, yeah, but that's going to be in the second half of the cowboy game. The cowboy season is over, people. Just accept the truth. You never know if the cowboys are going to win. You know the kingdom of God is going to win. In fact, you don't remember the score of a single cowboy game last year. But you'll hear stories tonight you'll remember the rest of your life. So I hope to see you at 530. So, I want to encourage you, who are reading the Bible with us, to record your chapters. We're trying to read a million chapters of the Bible this year. We're going to hit over three-quarters of a million before this month is over. And I'm stunned at how many people I meet who say, Oh, I've been reading since January. I just haven't recorded them yet. Let me ask you something. If your kids got a bad grade in school because they hadn't turned in their homework, and they said, Oh, I'm doing my homework. I just don't turn it in. How happy would you be? So go online, record your chapters. It encourages all the rest of us who are reading to see that you're joining us in that effort. Now, this past week, I did something else you need to do. I went and got a flu shot. I didn't like shots when I was young, but then I got the flu. I'd rather have a shot. Flu's no fun. I just wish they had vaccines for other things, especially the most virulent epidemic in America today. It has infected everything. Everybody done great damage and harm, and most don't even know they're sick. I'm talking about the greed virus. And Jesus knew how dangerous it was. And so Jesus said in Luke 12, you be careful and you guard against all kinds of greed. Life is not measured by how much one owns. And someone might want to push back a little bit and say, well, Jesus, it is in my world. That's exactly how they measure life in my world, by how much you own. You are measured by what neighborhood you live in, by what job you have, by what kind of clothes you wear, by what school you go to, by what car you drive. And that's true in the empires of the world. But Jesus is inviting us into a new kingdom that has a different economy. And that's why Jesus talks more about money than any other subject except the kingdom of God. Because if you're going to live in this new kingdom, you have to live by a different economic system. Jesus said in this kingdom, you cannot serve both God and money. So don't even think that you can multitask here. You cannot do it. And Jesus talked about this so much, not because he wanted money. But because he wanted 
disciples. And so if you're going to get a degree in the school of discipleship taught by Jesus, a required course is called kingdomnomics. You have to understand economics in this new kingdom. So we're going to look at four basic principles about how to understand life in the kingdom. And kingdomnomics 101 we saw last week was God owns all. It starts here. This is the top button. If you don't get this right, everything else you think about stewardship is wrong. God claims that he has a claim on everything. And we saw last week that goes deep. There are some really serious implications if that's true. And if you didn't hear the teaching, I would encourage you to go back and hear it. And you might think, I don't even know if I buy the whole God thing. That's okay. Glad you're here. But here's something we both agree on. You were born with nothing. And you're going to die and take nothing with you. You've never seen a hearse pull in a U-Haul. Now what that means, whether you believe in God or not, everything you own is on loan. And if you do believe in God, that leads right in then to the second principle of kingdomnomics. Class 201 is this. Manage God's trust fund. Because when we understand that we actually own nothing, we realize it's our responsibility to steward everything. Now, we're at a disadvantage here because we don't use stewards as much in our culture. But in Jesus' day, it was a very common role in society. It was an agrarian society. You accumulated wealth primarily through livestock and through farming. And the owner of the farm or ranch would always hire a sharp person to be his steward. And he would manage the ranch. Now, the owner might take a trip. And back then, if you took a trip, you'd be gone for days or weeks or months or even years. And while you're gone, that steward has total responsibility to take care of. Of what you own. And the owner's going to come back. While he's gone, he can't Skype, he can't text. He's just going to have to trust. But when he comes back, the first thing he's going to do is find that manager, that steward. And he's going to ask, how did you take care of what I trusted you with? So a steward is somebody who manages the assets Of an owner. And you might not know this. But it's the first command in the Bible. Go back to Genesis 1. And it says God made this and God made that. So Genesis 1 establishes God owns everything. Because God made everything. But at the end of that chapter, God turns to man and says, now you rule and have dominion. In other words, you take care of my world. You run the ranch. The very first thing man is taught from God is to be a steward. This has huge implications. For example, this has implications for how we take care of the environment. Yes, ecology is a spiritual matter because this is not your world. This is God's world. It has implications for how we use our time. 
Because you don't make time. It is a gift from God. He decides how much time you get. So you must steward it. It has implications for how we take care of our body. How you exercise, how you eat, what you use your body to do. Because the Bible is clear. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Honor God with your body. It has implications for how you raise your kids. Because your kids are on loan from God. So certainly it has huge implications for how you manage your finances. We are to actively and responsibly take care of God's creation for God's purposes. That means that we don't see ourselves as entitled. We see ourselves as entrusted. Because in this kingdom, you don't measure a life by how much someone owns. You measure a life by how they took care of what God owns. And we are going to be accountable. In every one of these stories Jesus tells, the owner always comes back and asks the question, Did you manage well what I trusted you with? So listen to me, folks. Jesus is coming back. Okay, I read the syllabus. It's in here. It really is. So don't be shocked and say, I didn't know there was going to be a test. It's in the syllabus. I want you for a moment to consider the heaviness of what we're doing right now. There's a German theologian named Helmut Thilicke who preached in Stuttgart at the end of World War II. He would often hear the bombs falling while he was preaching. And one day on the road, he's in front of a building that had been d- destroyed by a bomb a few days earlier. And a lady from his church walked up and said, that's where my husband died. They never even found his body. But this is the spot where he died. And what do you say? I'm sorry? But then you realize she was not walking up to seek sympathy, but to give thanks. And she said to him, I thank you, Pastor, for preparing my husband for eternity. This is my prayer every week. I realize the heaviness of this moment. I've got a few minutes to get you to think about eternity. Because stewardship is not a program. It's a lifestyle. It is a witness to this world of the next world, which is the real world. So let's just think for a moment. What does it mean then to manage God's trust fund well? Let me be real clear about something. My use of money will not get me into heaven. Do not hear me say that we can buy heaven or that we can buy off God. The only thing that can ransom a sinner is the blood of Christ. But some of these stories that Jesus tells seem to imply there's a connection between management and judgment. So let's talk about that for a moment. Especially in chapter 25 of Matthew, Jesus tells three stories about are you going to be prepared for eternity? In the first story, there's these foolish and wise virgins waiting for the bridegroom to come to the wedding. The wise ones were prepared. The foolish ones were not. 
The moral is pretty simple. Don't be foolish. The bridegroom's coming. The second parable, the owner gives to three stewards different amounts of his assets to manage. He's gone a long time. But when he comes back, everyone knows what's going to happen. And the first two stewards had invested well and managed well. And they hear the words, well done. And they are awarded. But the third one had not invested well. He had been lazy. And he received punishment. And then the third story is about sheep and goats. And we read these words in verse 34. The king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now notice, they were told, come take your inheritance. An inheritance is not a wage. An inheritance is a gift that you receive because someone else died. Every week, I realize someone is listening to me that has never clearly had it explained to them what God did to save them. So listen close. You and I were sinners. And our sin deserved wrath of God. A just God must punish sin. But a gracious God sent His Son in the flesh to take our place in our punishment. And Jesus went to a cross and the judgment that we deserve was put on Him. So that His perfect righteousness could be put on us. So you don't buy heaven. You don't purchase salvation. It was purchased for you. It is a gift. You inherit it. You inherit it because you have become a son or a daughter through your faith in Jesus Christ. You'll notice the sheep have no idea or concept of merit theology. In fact, they say to the king, Lord. When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So the sheep aren't boasting. The sheep aren't back there saying, yeah, nailed it. They are unconscious, but consistently seeing their hearts overflow to others because their hearts have been changed by grace. They do what they do because they love the King. And when you love the King, you love who the King loves. And you understand that means more than just saying, oh, my heart goes out to them. Bless their little hearts, those poor people. No. When you love who the king loves, you give to them. And so even though my money can't get me into heaven, Jesus seems to be implying that my use of money can keep me out of heaven. Now again... 
We have to interpret this parable and all of Jesus' parables against the whole backdrop of his teaching. So let me be clear. There is one sin that damns. And that sin is the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in John 8, unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. But in preparing people for eternity, what Jesus seems to be saying is the surest sign that you have enthroned me in your heart is that you have dethroned greed. You have dethroned the way the kingdom of the world handles money. The way you're handling your money in this world is the clearest indicator of whether or not you have really trusted Jesus for the next world. Let me give you two stories that I think make that point. In Luke 12, Jesus tells a story about a rich guy. Has a bumper crop. His barn is already full. And by the way, his neighborhood is full of hungry people. You know what this guy does? He tears down his barn to build a bigger barn so he can store more for himself. And he dies. And God calls him a fool. A few chapters later, there's a story of another rich man. And at his gate is a beggar named Lazarus. That he never hurts. But he never helps. And he dies. And he goes to a place called torment. Now Jesus told both these stories. And in neither story does Jesus tell us of all the wrong things that these guys did. What he says is they didn't do the right thing. The stuff of their sin was the sinful use of their stuff. The problem is not that they were rich. The problem is that they were just rich. They saw themselves as entitled owners instead of entrusted stewards. Now, some of you have been on a farm or you've been out hiking You see a pond and the stream flows in and the water's pure and the livestock drink and the fish swim. And you come back later and the water is brackish and dirty and the fish are dying and algae is growing. And you know what's happened? The spillway's blocked. The water's coming in, but it can't go out. Because God created creation to operate on receive and give. You know, as a hiker, you find the moving water. That's the clean and pure water. You know, you're the same way. God designed you to receive and to give. And you're to be a channel. And if you become a dam of God's blessings, something starts to pollute your heart. So here's a good question. If you don't own it, why did God loan it? Why does God... Trust you with what is His for a season. So there's a legend about a man who had gold and he took it out into the field and he buried it by a tree. And every week he would go out and dig it up and stare at it and then bury it again. 
And a thief noticed his behavior and went out one day and dug up the gold and ran off with it. So when the man goes out the next week and he digs up the hole by the tree, his gold is missing. And he wails so loudly his neighbors hear and ask and he explains what has happened. And one of the neighbors says, well, what did you ever do with your gold? He said, nothing. I just came to stare at it. And the neighbor said, well, then why don't you just come out and stare at the hole? If you don't own it, why did God loan it? Jesus just wasn't an advocate for investing in the empires of the world. But he was very bullish on the kingdom of God. In Matthew 6, he said, don't store treasures for yourselves here on earth where moths and rust will destroy them and thieves can break in and steal them. But store your treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed by moths or rust or where thieves cannot break in and steal them. Your heart will be where your treasure is. And then he said, seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. And then all your other needs will be met as well. So here's the amazing thing. I can't use my money to get into heaven, but my use of money can put treasure in heaven. It doesn't matter whether you're wise or you're foolish, you're going to die. But a fool is going to leave everything behind in the barn. Now, I'm going to tell you a story that's going to make you roll your eyes. So two years ago in Sydney, Australia, a young father who's uh, got some debt decides to sell the family car. He gets $15,000. He's going to use it to make some mortgage payments and pay off some bills. Do not ask me why. But he had to keep that cash for a couple of days. Instead of putting it under the mattress, instead of hiding it in the closet, he decided to store it in the oven in the kitchen because they never used it. You can already guess where this is going. So his wife that day comes in, decides to preheat the oven to warm up some chicken nuggets for her kids. And I already know what you're thinking. As all that money was disintegrated. You're thinking, what fool would put his treasure in a place where it will burn? You just took the words out of Jesus' mouth. What fool invest in a place destined to burn? Jesus says, don't be that guy. You can't take money with you, but you can send it on ahead. Jesus says, increase your heavenly portfolio. How do I do that? Well, some of you have already done it this morning. Do you know that every time, instead of just going through the motions, but you really worship God, you, you let your heart burst in praise to God. Every time you do that, you are increasing your treasure in heaven. Every time you resist the pull of sin and the pull of the crowd and you turn in the direction of being more like Jesus, you are increasing your heavenly portfolio. Every time you are kind and compassionate and you serve a human being, whether they thank you or not, or whether anyone notices or not, the bank in heaven is noticing. And you're richer 
And every time you take something out of your barn so that somebody can go somewhere in the world to tell people about the king, you are putting treasure in heaven. Because remember, what the king cares about is people. And the empire of the world uses people to win money. But people that are in Jesus' kingdom use money to win people. Here's what Paul says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You are either moving away from or toward your treasure. If you have put your treasure in a barn, you are moving away from it. If you have put your treasure in the kingdom of God, you are moving toward it. We want to be moving in the direction of the kingdom that's coming. Because here's the coolest thing about stewardship. My use of money can bring heaven to earth. You see, heaven is on the way. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 19. I assure you that when the world is made new. I love that. That word right there literally is Genesis again. Remember Genesis 1, the world was good, the world was right, the world was how God wanted it. Well, that is coming again. It's going to come again. And it says, the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne. And there won't be any more debate about who Jesus is because every knee is going to bow. Now, this is coming. So, you who've been my followers will also sit on thrones. You'll judge the tribes of Israel and everyone. And that means you. Who's given up houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or property, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much in return, and will inherit eternal life. Because here's the thing. Jesus isn't asking us to escape the world. Jesus is asking us to join the mission of God to renew The world. Because I read the syllabus. And at the very end, God says, behold, I am making everything new. And we, as a church full of stewards, are to witness to this coming reality. The owner is coming back. Everything's going to be made right. The kingdom will be established. And what we're doing as we manage God's trust fund... 
is we're not just marching into heaven. We are marching into the world to give the world a glimpse of heaven. A glimpse of the kingdom that is on the way. That's what Harvest Weekend is all about. It's why next week Jamie and I are going to give more than we've ever given. And we're going to give it with joy. Because we're putting treasure in heaven. We believe this with all our hearts. We want people in the world to know that the real kingdom is on the way. It's already coming. In Sri Lanka, after the tsunami, we sent people there. Out of the generosity of this church. There are 60 houses now in Samagama Village. And a church there. And people are hearing about Jesus. And heaven is coming to earth. In Chile, where the Shoots and Overalls served, there are three house churches exist today that didn't exist just a couple of years ago. In Honduras, where we're helping Carol Bailey unite eight churches, hundreds have come to Christ. In China, where our missionaries have been for several years, there are already 140 people who've accepted Jesus that a few years ago didn't even know who Jesus was. And heaven is coming to earth right now. In Africa... We have supported Sam Picotti and Johnson Nagoyo for years. They've planted over 500 churches. They have baptized over 1,100 inmates in the last few years. In Zambia, Jacob has planted 36 churches. And every night he cares for and feeds and beds 60 orphans. And heaven is coming to earth. In Swaziland, right now, Mando de Oliveira is training 27 young men to go preach the gospel in that country. In Nigeria, Monday Akpan, that you have supported for years, has already planted 19 churches. In Uganda, this last summer, 27 young Africans received a Christian college degree from a school that didn't exist 10 years ago, but does today because some of you got something out of your barn and you sent it to Uganda. Right now in North Africa, there are two tribes who've never had a language in print. And for the first time, they're getting to read the Word of God in their own tongue. Right now in Rwanda, where our team went a few years ago, over 300 house churches meet and over 4,300 have accepted Christ and been baptized. That's why last year we sent a team to Tanzania. That's why next year we're going to send the Irwins to Burkina Faso. And right here in America... Churches exist in Oklahoma City, in West L.A., in Miami, in Upper Manhattan that didn't exist just a few years ago. One year ago, we helped start a church in Harlem. And in September, they had an average of over 230 every weekend coming to hear Jesus. And you've already heard today of the amazing young man who's gone right into the heart of Philly and said, the name of Jesus is going to be announced here. Heaven is coming to Philadelphia. Because the gospel is more than if you die tonight, do you know where you will go? The gospel is also. And if you wake up tomorrow morning, do you know what you will do? Well, yes, you do. As managers of the trust of God, you and I will partner in the mission of God to make Jesus famous all over the world. It is a powerful vaccine against greed. And it's a wonderful way to live. And so a few years ago, a Christian couple in Northern California named Ken and C.J. Mansfield 
befriended a homeless man named Garland who lived in a park nearby their deli. And they made sure every day he had something to eat. Their store was robbed. The police just assumed Garland did it because they found him with a big basket that they sold at their store. They brought him into the Mansfield. They said, oh, no, we gave Garland that basket. And to keep him from further embarrassment, Ken opened the cash register and just made up a number. He pulled out $38.67 and said, here, Garland, I forgot to give you your change. Three days later, Garland died. A few weeks later, a lawyer called and said, Garland left a note that you get everything he owns. It's all in his travel bag. And in that bag, there was a sack of bird seed and a Bible and a bank book. In fact, the last entry in the book was a deposit for $38.67, which brought the total to over $3 million. And that bank book was inside the Bible at Matthew 25, where the words were underlined, I was hungry and you fed me. Now, I don't believe in a prosperity gospel, and I'm not saying that if you will be generous, God is going to give you a whole lot of money. Here's what I am saying. What I am clearly saying is that in every single story, when the owner comes back and the steward has been faithful, the owner says, well done. Receive your reward and enter. Into your master's happiness. And you're thinking, preacher, you've given me a lot to think about. No, no, no. God has given you a lot. So think about it. Let me pray for us. God, you're good, you're so generous. Why have you trusted us with so much? But Lord, the virus is so strong. It's so easy to drift into an entitlement spirit. So we need Holy Spirit help to manage what is yours well. Because we want your great name to go into all the world, God. The lost are saved and find their way at the sound of your great name. Hungry souls receive grace at the sound of your great name. So God, for Jesus' sake, help us steward this treasure well. Amen. Let me ask you to stand up. If you're on the prayer team upstairs or downstairs, would you take your place? We offer you today the gift of prayer. And we ask you today to come and offer yourself to Jesus. And we would love to talk to you about what that means. Please come.